Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats Podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltazor. And welcome to a rare Thursday episode, at least in the offseason for us. I'm actually leaving for vacation on this day that the episode is coming out. So the week afterwards will probably be Connor and the Aggieville Alley Cats live mascot, Maple. Uh, Maple will almost certainly be leaking more realignment news like she did the first time. But for this week's episode, we have NFL draft to talk about, men's basketball, women's basketball, men's golf, and of course the Batcats and the wacky segment of the week, which isn't the normal question format. It's three just weird stories from the previous week. So we got quite a bit to cover. So let's just dive straight into NFL draft talk. So there are four primary prospects that are going to be going to the NFL draft, and those were the four that attended the NFL Combine. That is cornerback Julius Brents, running back Deuce or Christopher Deuce Vaughn, defensive end Felix Andidike Uzama, and wide receiver Malik Knowles. Wide receiver slash kick returner, because that's probably how he's going to be viewed for the NFL. In terms of like actually working out, Julius was the one that really turned a lot of heads with his workouts and at the senior day. He actually set an NFL combine record for the longest wingspan and he measured in officially at either 6'3 or 6'3 and a half with a ridiculous wingspan. Ran the 40, ran like a 4'5'3, but he didn't look particularly comfortable. I think he ended up with the RAS score, which is relative athletic score of like nine and a half maximum is 10 so like i actually he, have the uh image saved somewhere of his ras um okay. he got a 9.82 yeah so which is ridiculous. among yeah that's among the best that you can get for ras yeah plus he he worked out with drills so that really was a massive day for Julius. You can see, even see now, like ever since the end of the season, you could even see from the end of the season, now it's ridiculous. He went from being maybe quarterback 20 on some draft boards to now he's like CB three or four. I don't think anyone's beating like Christian Gonzalez or uh, maybe it's not Christian Gonzalez. It's the quarterback from Oregon and uh, Devon Witherspoon from Illinois. Devon Witherspoon is ridiculous. So I, I don't see him beating him out, but you know, that was really good for improving his draft stock. We'll kind of go over, like, what this meant for all these guys at the end. Uh, Deuce didn't run any drills. I think he's saving the 40 for the pro day. I think that's the one everyone really wanted to see. But he did go viral a few times with a backflip, a catch on a wheel route, and then ridiculously fast feet. Uh, Felix and Malik notably did not test. Felix, I understand, because uh, I think Felix is still nursing an injury. Malik, I think, hurt. I think that hurt him a lot more than people are going to say. I'm not going to say that automatically makes him an undrafted guy, but the fact that he didn't even run drills, I think is like, it, it raises an eyebrow. And I know that a lot of people are like, Oh, they just do it at the pro day. Well, like you can only send so many like scouts to a pro day and like you, they aren't forced to look at you. They, they can just choose to not go to the pro day. Every scout is at the combine. So like, I really think Malik probably hurt himself by not running unless he was also hurt. But yeah, Connor, what do you, what do you think of, or what do you take from 
those who worked out, those who didn't. Do, do you think there was any other than Julius? Do you think anyone helped or hurt their draft stock here? Or what do you think? Um, yeah, obviously Julius way help significantly helped his draft stock. I mean, we we know that much. We don't really need to linger on that. Uh, he was by far the biggest riser. Um, Felix probably nursing an injury, just gonna save it for a pro day. Not a lot to draw from him. Um, other than I think that there was maybe an offensive tackle that's that he was the hardest guy to block that he faced. That was multiple offensive tackles from the Big 12. Yeah. Um, I, I a lot of people talked about how he was very difficult to block, especially with Tyree Wilson of Texas Tech really soaring up draft boards. It's notable that a lot of offensive tackles are still saying that Felix was the most difficult to block. I think some of that is maybe stylistic difference because Tyree Wilson, despite being a freak athlete, is more of a run defender. Uh, he he's a pass rusher built into a run defender, or he's a run defender built in a pass rusher's body and athleticism. Uh, Felix is definitely do it all, but we didn't draw a ton from the uh, the combine. So I think by default it has to be Deuce uh, for who helped their stock the most. He was measured as the shortest player in combine history, um, which. I think everybody kind of figured that was going to happen or at least be close. So I don't think that helps or hurts him at all. Um, contrary to what maybe some may think, I'm not sure what people think on that, but his footwork was fantastic. He had the black, he had the, uh, the, the backflip and uh, now didn't run a 40 or anything like that, but I kind of get why um, because his 40 times probably not going to be elite. Uh, I'd imagine he's going to be hitting Somewhere in the four or five range, maybe lower. I think he's faster than Alex, but not by much. Yeah, I I think you're probably right. I I think four or five flat should be the aim for him, um, but it's hard to tell how fast he is. Um, Julius's forty time was the only thing that didn't impress, but it is about where you and I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, a lot of people I think got a little bit overzealous saying that he was going to run sub four four. Um, I think people were kind of talking themselves into that one. Uh, we were kind of on the aim for about a four or five and you're good wave. And it honestly barely matters because he just tested out of the water in every other category. Yeah. So if you're one, def- if you're one slightly below average area is 40 time and everything else is elite, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, especially um, when you're, when you, when your wingspan is so ridiculous, like if you're going to lose on one tenth of a second, it also helps the fact that you are a six three and B your arms can literally make up that distance. Yeah. So I, I doubt that's going to hurt Julius very much. Um, but I think Deuce is the objective best answer for increased his stock the most, but I was hoping that we'd see a little bit more um testing from the K state guys, but regardless, it was good to have four guys there. That's the most we've had there in a while. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, um, so I, the last thing I kind of want to do here is we kept saying that we're going to rank the draftability of, of each player. I'm also going to throw in like for this, we're also going to throw in Echo Boydo and Josh Hayes because I feel like they are worth mentioning. I Cheatham, I think, is definitely a UDFA guy, but the other guys maybe have a, an outside shot. But so we'll, we'll each go one in one here. So we'll will give like a short reason as to why for most draftable to, you know, probably the guy who's going to get picked last of the group. For me, the most draftable player is still probably Felix. And 
that's not I feel like now you can make a pretty convincing argument that Julius should be right there with him to where you I'm not going to say you're wrong if you think Julius is ahead of Felix, especially because, you know, we I'm not saying we have sources, but we we may have heard that there are a lot of NFL teams who think that Felix need is is very raw as a prospect, specifically when it comes to his hand usage. So I really, it kind of is, I I think Felix is probably still the most draftable player because I think the edge player is a more premium position than outside corner. Plus I think that Felix might test out of the water at his pro day. And I think that the pro day is going to be the, the ultimate decider for Felix being the most draftable player. And I honestly, I could see him sneaking back round one or uh, early at the latest mid round two. I think Julius is more, I think he's gonna have more variance in his potential area to get drafted. But um, I am going to say that he's the most draftable for now, just because of how out of the water that he tested. Um, He was off the charts in pretty much every area. I mean, longest wingspan uh, in combine history for a defensive back. And uh, he was fantastic in basically every single area that he was tested in, with the exception of the 40 yard. But we already explained why that doesn't really hurt him that much. Um, I, I take him over Felix as of today, just because we do have those testing numbers. And for Felix, we don't have the numbers yet. So I think that puts him over Felix. But Julius could remain in front of him um, after his pro day, after Felix's pro day, or Felix can move back in front. Regardless, those are two guys that I am very, very positive will be gone uh, by at the absolute worst uh, the end of day two. Um, I just don't see a universe where they are still on the board when we get to day three, unless something just absolutely like cataclysmic happens. Like if one of them gets like a serious injury or between now and the draft or something like that. And even then that may not be enough, but I'm, I'm going to put Julius at the top right now, just because he really showcased well at the combine. Yeah. I'm putting Julius at number two. Like I said, I'm not going to argue and say someone's wrong if they put Julius one. I I think the the number one thing everyone knows about Julius's coverability. I think that as a lateral corner, he's very underrated. As a vertical corner, he's six three and runs four five. Shut up. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, another underrated part of his game that I'll say is his run support. I went back and actually watched. Yeah, I'm going to say it. I watched all 22 of Alabama because I found college all 22. It's worth it. Uh, <laughs> um, it, he was taking on guards, man. <laughs> he was taking on pulling guards and not dying. So I think he's going to be a great run support corner. Uh, so you 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 had Felix too? Yeah. Okay. Same reason as I did? Pretty much, yeah. Um, okay. I think we're pretty much in agreement on most of our analysis for Julius and Felix, except just who we're giving the edge to. Mm-hmm. Um they're both probably I I think probably they're both both of their median draft positions are going to be pretty similar sometime in the early to mid second round with first round potential. So for me, number three is Deuce. 
And this one, this one is something I don't understand where people are saying that Deuce projects as like a sixth or seventh round guy. I think that's ridiculous because I think worse running backs who are granted not the exact size because he's the shortest in combine history, but of at least comparable size went in the middle of the fourth round. And Deuce Vaughn is better than both of them. Naheem Hines has carved out a role as a good receiving back. Tariq Cohen, before he got hurt and several other life events happened, he was a consistent receiving back and a good scat back option in Chicago. Both of them were first fourth round picks. I could see a universe where Deuce creeps his way up in the late third rounds. Is that where I think he goes? No. I do think that he either matches or is slightly after like Naheem Hines or Tariq Cohen, which I think were both picked in like 100 to 107, somewhere in there. That sounds right. But uh, I see Deuce as like a a fourth round steal for a lot of teams because I think a lot of teams are going to get scared off by his size. And, you know, it's not fair to him. Like he can't change that. But I I do see a fourth, like a team in the fourth round saying like, wait a minute, how the hell is Deuce Vaughn still available? And then they sprint up the pick to the podium. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think Deuce is probably a fourth round guy for me. Um, I'd like to see him creep up into um, third round because I think that's probably where he deserves to get picked um, talent wise. But I I'm skeptical that happens. So for now, um, I'll kind of log my prediction as early to mid fourth rounder. Uh, I I think there's something about the divide between the third and the fourth round that makes Deuce more appealing to be a day three rather than a day two guy for a lot of teams because it just feels less risky, even though there's not actually a ton of difference between the third and the fourth round. Um, So I I think maybe some of that's just going to be uh, the mentality of NFL teams. But I do think you're right that he is a better prospect on paper than guys like Tariq Cohen. and Naheem Hines, although Naheem Hines is super, super fast, but Deuce is better basically everything else. Um, I, 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 I think that he should go higher than he will be drafted. Um, but I would be utterly shocked if he does not get drafted. Oh, I'll put it like that. Like I, I just don't think there's a universe where he doesn't get drafted, which coming into this year was still a possibility. I think we were still in the day three mindset for him. But we're entertaining UDFA status, but I do think that he's a draft lock at this point. Yeah, I agree. Like just the way he showed out and like showed all of his abilities at during drills. Yeah, this one's probably my most controversial one. And that's for number four. I actually have Echo. I think the fact that Echo didn't get invited to the combine, I think that that's ridiculous. I, it, Echo continues to be one of the most underrated players, if not the most underrated player in the Big 12. And I think what inevitably is going to happen... Now, I will say, there is a steep, a steep drop-off between Deuce and everyone else. And that's not be, that's not trying to be mean. It's just the truth. But I think that there's going to be one team or another that's going to look at Echo. They're going to see him... At, like, there's going to be... They're not going to come to watch Echo. Like at this point, no team is going to go to the pro day to specifically watch Echo Boido. And then they're going to see him run. And then they're going to ask him to do coverage drills. 
And then they're like, wait a minute. This guy can this guy can play. This guy can run. So I I honestly am shocked that he didn't get invited to the combine at all. I could see a universe where Echo is like a sixth or seventh round pick, a la, you know, Russ East. And I, I'm not sure if this is a controversial take. I think that Echo Boido is better than Russ East. They play different positions, but I I think that relative to each other's position, I think that Echo Boido is better than Russ East was last year. And I think that Echo just suffers from the fact that he was Echo Island. And every single time he played man coverage, don't talk about zone coverage, every single time he talked about man coverage, the receiver was gone or Echo cramped. (laughs) Those are the two outcomes. The receiver was gone or Echo hurt himself. So I have Echo as slightly more draftable than Malik. And do you have a relative like area of the draft or are you thinking UDFA? Uh, Six or seven. I know that's probably the the right spot. I'm going to put Malik in front of Echo marginally, and the sole difference is going to be that I think Malik has more prototypical size um, than Echo does. That's pretty skill. If, if Echo and Malik were like the same size relative to like what is desirable for their positions, if Echo was like an inch taller and a little stronger, then I think I'd put Echo in front of Malik in terms of what I think NFL teams want. Because I do think I agree with you that Echo is probably the more talented player relative to their position. But I think Malik is probably seen as more of a moldable prospect. Um, So he does kind of have smaller hands than I anticipated, which people make fun of a lot, but it does kind of matter, actually. Yeah, especially <laughs> at receiver. Yeah. So I... Which also does explain the drop issues, I guess. <laughs> and, um. I, I'm putting Malik ahead just because he does bring really good size uh, to the table. If he can learn how to use his body as a receiver to block guys out a little bit more effectively, um, I could see him being that guy that like bounces around the league. And it's just a guy that anytime he makes a catch, you're like, oh, Malik Knowles. He's all right. Yeah. Like I, I think that's his future. And I, I'm describing Demarcus Robinson right now, but I... I I think that's Malik Malik Knowles' uh, path to success in the NFL is finding his way onto a good offense that utilizes a lot of receivers, um, and just trying to carve out a small role as like a a big body receiver that moves in space better than you'd think. Yeah, I, I do have Malik next, and to me, the reason why Malik is still like. I see Malik as a seventh round guy. And the main reason I see him as a seventh round guy is a lot of his. Let me clarify the next statement I'm going to make. He is not this player. He will never be this player because there is only like one of this player. And I'm talking about the Debo Samuel role. I unironically, if, Malik Knowles gets drafted by the 49ers. He suddenly becomes like a fourth round pick to me, like specifically in that offense where they're just going to prioritize crossing routes and then turning the receivers into running backs. That, that I think is Malik Knowles' skill set. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that Malik can't be a traditional receiver because I think that he still has time to develop that. He just, you know, maybe needs a little bit of NFL coaching and time 
to develop. Emphasis on time. But like if he goes to like the 49ers or I don't know, the Titans, because Traylon Burke sucks. But <laughs> he doesn't suck, but he's just not he's not AJ Brown. If he goes to any of those two teams, his value dramatically increases for me. But I as a traditional receiver, I think that they're if anyone else takes him, they're taking like a flyer on him and hoping he develops. Unless he comes out at his pro day and runs like a four four, then he probably leapfrobs that go. Yeah, I'm just thinking about Malik catching passes from Brock Purdy right now. Um, just how funny that would be. Uh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about Brock Purdy throwing a five yard crossing route that Malik houses from like 60 yards out, and Brock Purdy gets all the credit for it. And um, that's that's Malik Knowles' future, everyone. But yeah, yeah. I have Echo after, and for the record, I do have Malik as a seventh round pick as well. I have Echo as a uh, premium UDFA or sneak into the seventh, um, depending on like 40 time and stuff like that, yeah. at least as things stand. Um, I, I I do think that is kind of underrating Echo, but I think that's probably how he's seen right now. Uh, what he actually should be should probably, I think he and Malik should both be a little bit higher. But I, I think that's probably where they end up. Um, I do think Echo has a shot to actually latch onto a roster as a depth corner special teams guy. Uh, he was, I think he was on punt coverage. He was, a um, yeah, he was a, that helps his case a lot actually in terms of UDFA value. Um, teams love um, guys that can, um, as rookies, that can do more than one thing. That's how Byron Pringle made his way onto on the Chiefs and was able to carve out a role because he could return kicks and was also on punt coverage and turned that into a like five million dollar deal with the Bears. Um, Russ Yeast, that's how he managed to get drafted by the skin of his teeth, is because he is willing to play special teams. And Echo Boydo, if he does sneak in the seventh round, it'll probably be because of that special teams aspect that he brings. Um, and I, I that that's his best path forward. I think, and then develop his coverage skills from there. Um, hopefully he can continue a lineage of underrated uh, K-State corners out of school with uh, Duke Shelley and DJ Reed and go on to become actually really, really good guys in the NFL. DJ Reed has been nailed with the Jets. Duke Shelley came out of absolutely nowhere <laughs> to have a fantastic season with the Vikings. Um, so hopefully Echo can continue that tradition. Um, but uh, as things stand today, I probably i don't think he gets drafted but i'm interested to see how he does at the pro day because that could completely change how i feel about it yeah and lastly for both of us i think is josh hayes i think josh hayes turns into a special teams demon i think that's that's about where he is i think he would be a fantastic gunner i i think that's his future um mainly in the run defense like from this year watching him fly up from the defensive backfield to make tackles for loss uh, by shoestrings. To me, that just screams that he's going to be really good in punt and kick coverage at um, zooming through uh, and evading blockers and being able to stop guys. And there's a lot of value for that in the NFL. So Josh Hayes could carve out a nice role um, on special teams as a UDFA. Yeah. So that is that is our ranking of the the K-State draftability, I suppose, 
we actually may be going to the draft depending on life, <laughs> I suppose is the, the best way to say it. I really, really hope that we can go because yeah. this is the best opportunity to make it, I think, yeah. for probably ever. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I don't I don't imagine we'll be back here pretty anytime soon. But no, we'll probably probably not. But yeah, hopefully we we make it there. But that's the NFL draft portion of it. Now we can talk about men's basketball. We're going to talk about awards first, and I'll take the first one, then you can take the next two, you know, obviously provide commentary as we go. Uh, the first awards go to Keontae Johnson, good old KJ. Uh, he wins Big 12 Newcomer of the Year, duh, and then first team all Big 12. I'm not going to say as much a duh for that one, but yeah, duh. <laughs> like that, that, that was an easy one to figure out. Especially newcomer, like who else competes? Um, I can't even think of other names to consider. Maybe Grady Dick, and I—I I think that's just a name that's on the ballot. But yeah. I mean, KJ was the unanimous newcomer of the year, I think. Yeah. So if he wasn't, um, yeah, and and that was one hundred percent deserved. I'm, I'm just trying to think of other names that you even put on the list. Keontae George at Baylor, um, he was pretty solid. Um, I'm, I'm those are two five star freshmen that were good. Grant Sherfield at OU probably has a case if OU isn't the worst team in the conference, but that that's that's about it. And that's being generous too. Fardaz Amac at Tech, if he hadn't been hurt for 75% of the year, maybe has an argument. <laughs> yeah, that, that that one's obvious. I don't feel like we have to spend much time on that. We can talk about that holistically, but you have the next two. Yeah. Um, Marquise Noel, he gets first team all big 12 as well. And also the all defensive team. Um, happy that he got all big 12 first team. He and KJ, I think, um, by the end of the season, were pretty much shoe ins, um, for, for that role, um, all defense for Keese. Um, I think it's probably mainly because of his ability to steal the ball. Mm -hmm. uh, his on ball defense was pretty good. Sometimes he would kind of fall asleep, um, when he was playing off ball though. And he definitely gave up a few wide open threes throughout the season that were very noticeable. Man just got bored. <laughs> yeah, I honestly think that's it. I think he just um, kind of spaced out and forgot his assignment. Uh, got pulled inside a little too far. And guy gets a wide open three on the wing and he realizes I don't have time to get out there. So he just kind of watches it happen. So it becomes even more obvious. Yeah. But regardless, he still was really great defensively. Uh, was stealing the ball. Um. And yeah, he absolutely deserved first team all Big 12, as did uh, KJ. Um, Jalen Wilson does get player of the year. Um, I think Keontae Johnson had votes, but I don't think, but he did, obviously didn't get it. Um, but Jalen Wilson getting it does not upset me, really. No. Um, Keese, I think, would have been a good choice. Uh, KJ also. But I mean, Jalen Wilson. He's the best he player on the best team. Yeah, and yeah, I think he averaged the most points over the course of the season. He didn't average the most points in Big 12 play, but he, at the end of the day, was, was a really good player. And yeah, he's a KU player, so it's a little bit annoying, but also who cares? You yeah. know, we, we got plenty of respect, I think, in the postseason awards. So I'm I, I'm, I'm not going to get a, a bellyache over it. So and Tang is uh, our coach of the year. In the Big 12, there's probably a little bit of uh, trepidation about who wins this one between him, Bill Self, and Rodney Terry of Texas. 
Uh, DJ Otzelberger was in there at one point. Jamie Dixon was in there at one point. Um, Scott Drew was in there at one point. Basically, the entire conference, except for like Porter Moser and Mike Boynton, so the state of Oklahoma. And, yeah, and Mark <laughs> Adams. And Martin, well, that's a different story. Yeah, that's a different and, story, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's plenty of other reasons for that. Um, but almost half of the Big 12, I think, at one point or another in the season had an argument, but it was definitely down to Tang, Self, and Terry there at the end. Because Rodney Terry actually did get a National Coach of the Year award um, today or yesterday from a publication. So that, that's definitely telling. And he definitely deserved consideration I'm um, stepping into a really, really difficult situation and keeping Texas as a uh, good team. Um, and Bill Self did deserve consideration as well because KU did lose a lot of production. Um, but I do think Tang probably objectively, oh, I'm I'm definitely biased, but um, I think he probably did the best job out of all the coaches this year based on what he had, what returned, being a first-year head coach and whatnot. Terry definitely had a hard job as well, but I think he was kind of set up for success with uh, with Texas and yep. having a ton of talent everywhere. But um, what are your thoughts, Ace, on, uh, on Marquise Noel's honors and Drum Tang's honor? I feel like both were obvious. I mean, like I, okay, only one of these I couldn't have told you probably would happen at the beginning of the year, and that's Tang Coach of the Year. I wanted it to be true, but I'm not sure if I would have predicted it to be true. But I, if I had a vote, I would, I'm not biased at all. I I definitely would have voted for Tang because I feel like objectively, if you look at it, you know, Bell Self, you know, KU lost a lot of production. It's still KU getting insane, like recruits. Like you you don't get a pass because you lost production and then you replace it with Grady Dick. You don't get that for me. Like, yeah, sure. Good job. You replaced production. Congratulations. Like, it, it's easy when you're a factory, but that's why Nick Saban doesn't get as much credit from me because, you know, Nick Saban, he's not rebuilding anything. He's just Nick Saban. That's what happens when you're one of the best coaches in history. And as much as it makes me want to tase every part of my body, Bill Self is probably one of the best basketball coaches in history. Tang walked into a situation that admittedly he set on fire <laughs> by himself at first by letting himself only have two players but then from the ashes he picks up a team that finishes third in the conference it, it, this team was projected to be last i didn't blame people for that <laughs> i didn't so like i feel like it just if you're looking at if you view the coaching award as the coach who exceeded expectations or the coach that did the best coaching job, which I feel like could be with, by in a sense, exceeding expectation. I feel like the obvious answer is Tang with the exception of Rodney Terry. But I honestly think that the voters were like, I don't want to talk about the Texas situation because then they'd have to acknowledge it. Yeah, that's entirely possible, but now, I do think Tang deserved Coach of the Year. He'll probably get a handful of National Coach of the Year um, honors as well. He won't be the unanimous National Coach of the Year because there were a lot of really good coaching jobs mm-hmm. uh, this year in college basketball. Um, I I admittedly do think he was the best, but not to a unanimous level. If I, I think if we arguments. I think, yeah, if we won the conference, uh, oh, I do think he should have been unanimous uh, yeah. for National Coach of the Year, but. We, we did not get to that point, but we got close. 
So I, I, I think he's a national coach of the year candidate. Um, and I, yeah, other than that, these are about all what I expected for the, uh, the other awards. Um, other than I was kind of 50, 50 on Keith getting all defense, not because he was a bad defender, but because he, last year he was an elite defender and this year he was just a really good defender, uh, at least, um, on ball and whatnot. So, um, but I was a little happy he got all defense. I, I don't think he was undeserving of it, especially with the um, amount of steals that he got. Yeah. So now we can talk about the men's cats, but we're kind of going to breeze over the games here because not only did they happen a long time ago, it's also kind of like, okay. <laughs> so the, the first one was a loss up against West Virginia in Morgantown, 89-81. This was, uh, you know, Huggins revenge game this was senior day for west virginia and i i'm not upset about this one but that's because i didn't like i full disclosure i didn't watch the game i was a baseball (laughs) connor watched the game i'll let him talk about it he told me he was very frustrated after the game i was feeling fine because we just beat the crap out of stonehill I was definitely very frustrated after this game, even if it was irrational, because this game didn't really matter that much. Because at that point, we were pretty much deciding, are we a two or a three seed in the Big 12 tournament? Both of those options keep us on the correct side of the bracket. And then uh, playing kind of for seeding, although Joe Lenardi dropped us a lot further than I think we deserved. Um, Like he dropped us from like, um being a two seed all the way down to he drops like three or four seed spots like for a road loss but there was someone else that also had a road loss that didn't drop at all he's very inconsistent and also kind of a hack and not good at his job but um k-state led by 10 in the first half in this game they were kind of dominating and then once keontae johnson had a windmill dunk it just all went downhill i think and uh, yeah he actually converted it so um post up nap time yeah except for the rest of the game west virginia was on fire um they hit absolutely everything that they were going for they got to the line a ton uh they were really good at drawing fouls uh against us we out rebounded them um our assist to turnover ratio we had 20 turnovers but we did have 18 assists so there is that um we were definitely missing a lot of shots that we shouldn't be missing um it it was a very frustrating game. The defense was not good. I'm obviously missing Desi Sills, who was at a funeral for a family member. So, I mean, you can't be upset with that at all. But it was a uh, very disappointing end to the regular season, but ultimately a game that, if you play your cards right, is not really going to be remembered at all um, by K-State fans. So, very frustrating in the moment because we were absolutely capable of winning this game. But with the gift of hindsight, this game not super important, but I would have much preferred that we win the game. So yeah, I, I I'm inclined to agree. Actually, I, I would have preferred to win the game as well. I, I'm you, glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. I only three people in double digits, you know, Marquise KJ both had 24 cam Carter at 13. Everyone else played, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Everyone else was definitely on the floor. They they were definitely playing. 
that's all I really have to say. I mean, <laughs> yeah, there, there's not much else to really write home about with this game other than we cut it down pretty close in the second half and then let it really grow out to a pretty significant uh, lead for West Virginia. It was double digits for a while, all the way up to uh, 15 multiple times, but we ended up cutting it down right before the uh, end of the game. Yeah. Anyway, the next game is actually is going on the day this comes out. That is up against TCU in the Big 12 Championship. That's the first game that we play. TCU's kind of dealing with their own problem right now. Um, it's kind of outside the scope of this podcast, but uh, suffice it to say, Eddie will not be playing. <laughs> Eddie Lampkin will not be playing in this game. And uh, the circumstances with which that are surrounding that may be affecting the entire team. I'll, I'll say it's vague at best. Um, and he, he seems to be having some pretty significant discontent with the uh, coaching staff and maybe some mental health issues as well. Um, so obviously hoping for the best for him there. But yeah, um, not sure what effect that has on TCU. I guess we will see. Um, don't want to linger on it too much. Just like you said, it is kind of outside the scope of what we normally talk about other than we won't be seeing Eddie Lampkin who, um, we saw the first time we played TCU a very small amount. The second time we played, um, won't be seeing him this time. Mike miles is going to play unlike the second time we played TCU. And then of course, the end of the day, we are playing TCU again. We play them Every single year, it feels like in the Big 12 tournament. Yeah, both and, Big 12 tournaments because we played them like yeah. for three years in a row in baseball. Yeah, and then in the Big 12 title this year for football, we <laughs> love playing TCU in uh, postseason <laughs> of all sorts, all shapes. And Last year, we did not play them. We played West Virginia instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played them in 2021, uh, that COVID year. Uh, that is what I'm talking about the year prior. Uh, when we played the last game of the entire Big 12 tournament. We played them in the first round of the Big 12 tournament the year that we won the conference. Um, and I, I think we probably played them a few other times as well. I'm trying to go back through schedules right now. Yeah, we played them the year prior in the Elite Eight run too. And uh, so, yeah, we always somehow end up playing TCU. So it's a tradition unlike any other yeah. uh, to, to get TCU. Um and so, yeah, hopefully we're able to uh, pull out the victory um, against the Horn Frogs, who are a very salty team that I definitely worry about. Um, but I do think we have a good shot. Yeah. So next up is the women's basketball team. Again, they also had awards named. And the obvious one was Gabby Gregory getting named first team all Big 12. Serena Sundell getting an honorable mention and Jalen Glenn getting nothing. Okay, so what, let's work backwards here because the, the Gabby Gregory first team, that's obvious. I don't feel like we have to give anything but congratulations there. I will pound the table for Jalen Glenn to have been at least all Big 12 defensive team and at minimum an honorable mention for all Big 12 generally because Jalen Glenn led the conference in steals. And that's not my only argument. Because even when she was not stealing the ball, she was always, and I do mean always, the consistent part of our defense. 
because Gabby Gregory is a scorer. Serena Sandel can play some pretty good defense. Eliza Boppin is developing, and once she finishes developing, that will be a nightmare. <laughs> but Jalen Glenn was the most consistent part of this, this defense. And I, 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 the only knock against her is, like, what, scoring? Like, But even then, she wasn't terrible. Like She was a fine scorer, but probably one of the best defenders in the Big 12. She got robbed. Like I, and- I do I do agree. Um she uh scoring wise was uh in the uh, upper echelon of the conference. She was uh top twenty five, she was twenty second uh in the conference in scoring. She had eleven point eight um uh, per game. Uh and then yeah, like you said, she led the conference in steals, um, which is not a an easy thing to do in a conference that includes Texas for now, because that is a scary, good defensive team that loves to steal the ball. Uh, she finished Jalen Glenn did just in front of Rory Harmon of Texas. Uh, so I think Jalen Glenn honorable mention was probably the right home for her. I think probably the only reason that she doesn't make honorable mention is because the team wasn't that good this year. Um, at least in terms of how they finished in the conference. Uh, I, I think that's the only reason I can think of that they did not make it uh or that Jalen Glenn didn't make it just with the team finishing well you can throw in Serena in there as well because I think Serena's probably second team if this team wins like five more games I, I think you're probably right um but that also does result in increased production that makes it a lot more logical choice Serena was fourth in the conference in um assists per game at 5.1 uh, and she was really scoring very well as the uh, as the season went on. Uh, she averaged thirteen point eight uh, per game uh, scoring wise as well, which uh, that puts her at a twelfth in the conference. So she um, maybe deserved to be higher. Um, she probably gets higher uh, if uh, KSA plays better down the stretch, um, but. This is a this is a team that really needed Aoka Lee. It became super super obvious um, the further in the season that we went because we just didn't have that uh, slump breaker, I guess, that we desperately needed to, mm-hmm. to help defend home court, defend the rim. Um, but it is what it is. Um, I, I definitely think Jalen Glenn's the most disrespected out of this group, um, just leading the conference in a uh, measurable category. Uh, and, a, and a fairly relevant one at that with steals. Uh, I, I do think that she probably deserved better than getting no mention at all. Uh, I think the all defensive team is definitely a consideration for Jalen Glenn as well. Um, but hopefully she will get her retribution next year when women's basketball puts together a super team. Uh, next year, we will be waiting until the turn of the calendar year to make an evaluation because we <laughs> definitely learned our lesson. We've done this both years of the show. <laughs> Two years in a row, we have been bamboozled by the uh, women's basketball team. Uh, granted, the last year wasn't so much of a bamboozlement as it was just a they they kind of like trailed off at the end of yeah. the year. They still they, at least made postseason. Yeah, they but, ran out of gas towards the end, but they were still a solid team. Next year is it's a make or break year. That that is judgment day, uh, metaphorically for the. Uh, the <laughs> no, 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 no! It's not metaphorical. <laughs> Like that needs to be a team that gets past the round of of uh, thirty two. I think yeah. uh, it needs to finish. Needs to finish top three 
in the Big 12 next year, um, no questions asked because there's going to be a lot of talent on that team next year. And if it doesn't happen next year, it's not happening. No, is what I'll not, say. not with Mitty. No. Yeah, which which really sucks to say because I like Mitty uh, yeah. as a dude, as a recruiter, like Mitty a lot. But at some point, it does it needs to happen. And I'm not saying fire Mitty, but I'm saying my interest in following the team and covering it as closely as we do will go down. <laughs> and so, I, I that, that's kind of where I'm at because firing non-revenue head coaches is not the best allocation of money for an athletic department like K-State. So um, as long as he can at least consistently make postseason, I can live with it, even if I'll be frustrated. But next year, we really need to make some noise, I think. Yeah. Uh, in terms of games, we lost to Texas 52-80. to 80. You can't make us covering that game. You can't make us cover that game. We're not going to. I was uh, at that game, and it was not fun. <laughs> <laughs> We're not I will say that, I will say though, one the only thing I'll say, I was not at all surprised. This oh, is no, no, exactly no, what I expected either. to happen going into the game. And yeah. I, I left very disappointed that I had this game be the one game I went to. Uh, because I had the I could have gone to the Iowa game, which would have been a lot more fun. Uh, but yeah, I'm just not shocked. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Uh, our first tournament game is up against Texas Tech, a team that swept us in the regular season. I have no expectations. <laughs> yeah, I I have no expectations either. Um, sneaking into the nine seed, um, eight nine line, we're gonna get. I think if we win, we play Texas again. <laughs> so, um, oh my god. <laughs> however, I will say. We if we win this game, I think we're basically an IT lock. I, I I don't know exactly how selection works, but I do know that we need to finish above 500. Um, and finishing above 500 and beating Tech would help us. And I want this team to at least get some postseason experience this year. Yeah. Um, do something in the postseason. I don't. Maybe if they play their cards right, they'll even be able to host an IT games. That'd be kind of cool. Um, and we might actually win some if we play at home. So, uh, we'll see. But I, I, I'm still hopeful, regardless, uh, for uh, this game. But like you, I don't have expectations. I, I want to be optimistic. I don't have expectations. Um, but we'll see. We'll we'll see what happens <laughs> at 5 p.m. on Thursday, March 9th. We will learn the fate of this uh this women's basketball team. Yeah. So next up is, because we're a golf podcast, the men's golf team, and they ended up getting second at the Culleton River Collegiate, uh, the number 21st ranked men's golf team, mind you. They only ended up finishing second to another ranked squad in number 24, Georgia Southern. I don't know what power, like what college golf powerhouses are. But I think finishing second, only finishing second to another ranked school is pretty good. That is good. Um, there were we beat a few other ranked schools, 46th ranked Mizzou. I don't know why college golf ranks go so low, but Mizzou is 46th. Um, Ohio State 28th, and then Cincy at 25. So future conference mate there. Um, but K State just missed out on winning this um match. They kind of fumbled the bag on the last round of the tournament 
shooting even par while Georgia Southern went minus seven on the uh, last day. So they end up missing um, missing out on bringing home a trophy by two strokes uh, to Georgia Southern. And they also just missed an individual championship as well as uh, Nicholas Mason was one out of tying for first with a, a guy from Michigan State. Uh, and Nicholas Mason went plus one on the day. If he just goes even par, then that uh, that saves his uh, hopes. Um, he he went 65 strokes on a day one. Pretty fantastic job there. But the team all in all did pretty good. Um, tied for second did Nicholas Mason. Then we had a lot of guys. Worst finish was uh, tied for 34th. So really, really good stuff uh, from, uh, uh, from the, uh, what are we calling them? I am forgetting. Like golf cats. We we had a, a club cats. That's what it was. Oh yeah, the club cats. Club cats. I I, I don't know if we are calling them. I think I made it up once. So, <laughs> um, but we'll figure something out over time. But on a regardless, at least they're competitive. Um, I did like. There's really no way to like watch golf tournaments really. No. So. <laughs> But no it's disrespect. nice to, at the very least, yeah, it's nice to see like a non-rev like perform at like a decently high level, even if it's one that isn't really followed super closely by pretty much anybody in the entire fan base. So I I appreciate that they are going all out and that Grant Robbins have put together a really good squad. Uh, hopefully, they can uh, push. Probably won't win, but push for uh, Big Twelve hardware. Um, this year, I don't I don't expect them to win the Big 12 because Oklahoma State is like a ridiculously good program. Uh, so we'll see about that. But I I am happy uh, with his performance. Wish we could have come away with the trophy. But second is good. Uh, still not the best, but good. And yeah. it, it, and it took in uh, a pretty big collapse for that to happen anyways. So live and learn and grow from it. So. Yep. Good for the uh, golf team. Club Cats. Moving from the Club Cats to the Bat Cats, they ended up sweeping the homestand. That was the, the weird split series between Army and Stonehill. Beat Army 4-1 to and 14-8 and in Stonehill 25-3 to and 6-5. Um, we're going to do the same thing we did last week, just kind of talk about the games in a general sense. Um, Jackson Wentworth continues to be the unluckiest pitcher I've ever seen in K-State history. <laughs> Man just gets no help from his defense. And it's weird because this was generally a pretty solid defensive series for the Batcats. You know, after I spent, what, like five minutes last episode complaining about Orlando Salinas, he must have listened to the episode and really wanted me to shut my mouth because he had probably, he was probably the MVP of this homestand because he played pretty solidly consistent defense. Again, throwing that right in my face. And then was probably the best clutch hitter right alongside Roberto Pena. But I, I, okay, I just threw a lot of things at you where you could pick one or you can contribute something new. Like, what do you, <laughs> it's the ball was in your court, my friend. Um, one of the biggest things that stood out to me uh, this weekend was the effectiveness of one Orlando Salinas when facing the United States military. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, against against army uh he um ended up going i think four for seven 
um, with seven RBI and then three home runs um, against them. And then also um, only struck out uh, once and then drew a walk as well. And also a hit by pitch um, and scored uh, five runs. Orlando Salinas was really, really good in two games against Army. And yeah, I kind of threw it in our face uh, about uh, how we we definitely were not pleased with his defensive performance. I hope he heard it. Um, and if that's the secret to Orlando Salinas hitting two home runs in a weekend, then we will continue to say slander this man. <laughs> we will be saying mean things about Orlando Salinas forever if that's what it takes for him to uh, <laughs> um, hit two home runs every weekend. Um, another thing I want to say is that Owen Borma. Um, had a different type of a good performance, um, but not in a, not in any sort of bad way. Um, he only gave up three hits, but he gave up six free bases, um, two hit by pitches, uh, four walks. But he had seven strikeouts and only gave up one earned run in six innings. So it gets a, I believe that's a quality start. Actually, yes, six six innings less than three is quality start. Yeah, so good for him. Uh. He uh, ends up with a quality start, 107 um, pitches for Owen Borima. Uh, I guess his first win on the year, wins don't matter, but yeah. regardless, he he did do that. Uh, so I, I was pretty pleased with that. Um, yeah, Wentworth, um, I truly do feel kind of bad for him at this point because uh, he is just kind of getting the short end of the stick uh, in regards to the defense, just not really playing up to snuff behind him, but he really stat line wise had a good um, performance. He was one inning off a quality start, uh, five hits, two earned six strikeouts, uh, three free bases with two walks and a hit by pitch. Um, But he gets a win to even his uh, record. Uh, And he also to, he, he got run support to put it lightly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's the best way to put it. it, It's got to feel nice to exit a game uh, while leading 14 to two. (laughs) <laughs> and watching your relievers just take turns, just add like just punching Stonehill into the ground. Um, yeah. Everybody got an inning and everybody pitched well. So, yeah, I also think it's worth noting that two of these wins are pretty all right. Uh, two of the wins they should have happened. Stonehill, this is their first year as a Division One program, and their first win as a Division One program was against Army. In this same series. Yeah. Army, however, <laughs> excuse me, bug just crawled up my nose. Um, <laughs> Army was a regional team last year. So take that for what you will. I, yeah, so I, I think Army has the potential to be pretty good. I think that they probably. I'm not going to say they're going to be an NCAA tournament team again, but it is worth noting that that is probably the first impressive victory on the year. And it like this series moves us to eight and five, you know, walking off Stonehill. It shouldn't have gotten to that point, but even if it did, congratulations to Tyson neighbors for committing murder. (laughs) Tyson neighbors has been unbelievable this year he granted had one opposite of shining moment uh against iowa he uh um i think he gave up the uh eventual 
um, game-winning home run in the ninth inning. Uh, and was credited with a, a loss for that, which was deserved. But when Dalton Beck really struggled, um, he left that Stonehill that second game against Stonehill after one and two thirds and gave up four runs, uh, all earned. Mason Bus came in, pitched four innings, gave up one unearned run, and had three strikeouts. And Tyson Neighbors comes in for the last three and one third, and he did not allow a base runner. He Got seven strikeouts and three and a third, um, two flyouts, one ground out. Shout out to Brendan Jones for making a fantastic uh, catch in the outfield. Yeah. Uh, at one point, a diving catch. Um, but seven strikeouts. Um, my sources are reporting that's good. Yeah, and seven strikeouts, eleven batters faced. Yeah, ten, ten, ten batters ten faced. Bat- yeah, seven strikeouts. That's a, according to my quick calculations, that's strikeouts on seventy percent batters that he faced, <laughs> and. Uh, then two flyouts and a ground out. So three and a third and 35 pitches. Uh, really, really good stuff for neighbors. Um, he, he, he's he got a lot of uh, tools in his chest um, as well. He His fastball is touching 96. Um, and he's got a really nice slider. He's got a curveball that he uses as well occasionally that he'll kind of bring out. It looks like second time through his order. Yeah. Um, or at least like late. Um, after he's faced several batters, when they start to adjust, he'll bring out that curveball, something new. Um, but neighbors deserves a ton of credit for that last Stonehill game and controlling uh, the bats of Stonehill while K-State tried to get their bats going, which they did do uh, in the final three innings of the game, because uh, that's when they scored all of their runs. So, yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. It was painful. The first like seven innings. Yes, it was. I was in extreme physical pain sitting here and uh, watching us come very close to losing to a team that we should not ever, ever, ever lose to. I know that there's a lot of detractors of this Batcats team. Sometimes I am among them. And I, I, regardless of what people say about uh, this team, you should never, ever, 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 ever lose to Stonehill. Stonehill. Um, or any team in a similar area or like realm of division one college baseball. Um, but we, we pulled it out, um, ended up winning on a, uh, walk-off single on a full count by Cole Johnson, uh, scoring Kai and Lotus after they, I think they walked the bases loaded. Yeah. They walked the bases loaded. I, which I appreciated that. And he <laughs> made it very, uh, much easier for us um, at that point. Um, but I don't know. I'm trying to think about a few other shout outs to give um, from the series. Uh, Roberto Pena went four for four in our drubbing of Stonehill. Mm-hmm. Um, Cash usually so, hit a few big home runs. Now you did. Yeah. Uh, Nick Goodwin yeah. played well. Um, Lawson Knight. Uh, he's a, I think a Juco transfer. He got his first career hit and it was a two RBI double. Um, and our, 22 run win over Stonehill. So uh congrats to him. Um I think ever I think almost everybody that took the I think everybody reached base. Everyone that like stepped up to the plate against Stonehill when we played them made it to a base somehow. Orlando Salinas came the closest to missing in that game. This was like his one really bad game. Mm-hmm. He went 0 for 5, but he did walk. So um, there, there is that at least, but 
yeah, definitely still need to get the strikeouts down um, on the offensive side. We are generally hitting double digit strikeouts every single game. And although, although we did not uh, both times against Stonehill, that yeah, barely Stonehill. counts. Yeah, that barely <laughs> count. but we couldn't hit the slow ball pitcher. Man was literally topping out at 82 miles per hour and we could not score a run off of him. No, he was shredding um, our lineup. And the second he left the game, the bats started to come alive. Uh, so we're lucky that that guy did not have the stamina to go complete game or else we would have gotten shut out by Stonehill and had to shutter the program. Mm-hmm. But now that uh, I'm trying to think anything else to say, um, Ace, do you have anything else you want to add um, about this uh, um, stand of games from K-State? Not really. I just like just want to mention the next few games to up against uh, Youngstown State this weekend. You may be asking who. That's a good question. Uh, the next game is up against Crichton in Omaha. Uh, so once again, we're we're going to Omaha. He is getting this team to Omaha, and he he said he would. So he is living up to his promise. Omaha twice in a season. Not many teams can say that, other than Omaha-based teams. Yeah, our, our opening um, opening Big Twelve series is next Friday up against Baylor. Um, at Baylor. So uh, Baylor's the worst team in the conference. I'll just leave that there. But <laughs> Yeah. Um, we, I will be highly concerned if we cannot at least get one victory against Baylor. If we get swept by Baylor, I will be a very sad person. Um, but Big 12 is kind of in an interesting spot right now. We have the um, third most wins in the Big 12. Yeah, four. No, we do have third best. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I have no idea what's happening right now with the Big 12. Um, yeah, Baylor's five and eight. Texas, five and seven right now. Uh, TCU's just seven and five, although they're going to be a good team. KU is six and four. Um, where us and OU are both eight and five. Then West Virginia is seven and four, which is more than uh, usual for them. Uh, but yeah. K-State currently fourth in the conference, uh, tied for fourth, I should say, with uh, with Oklahoma. So I, I don't think that will last. Uh, that's not lasting. But regardless, love to see it anyways. Um, and I, I will cherish this moment on this podcast where we could say the back hats were in the top half of the Big 12. And we were at least close to having double-digit wins. So, uh, but yeah. Hopefully you're going to be able to dispatch Baylor um, and take that series on the road. That would be massive for gaining momentum. Yeah. Uh, and then we get OU at home the following weekend. That could be big as well, especially because it's at home. And mm-hmm. that means that we actually could win. So <laughs> and we need to get revenge for them dropping like 25 runs on us last year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is pretty much all the news. Now we get to go into the wacky segments of the week. None of them are questions. All of them are simply stories from the, the previous week that, that we found very amusing. Firstly, the Big 12 tournament song. <laughs> I... Big 12. <laughs> hey, I, I, I have... I have no thoughts and simultaneously many thoughts about um, the uh, Big 12 tournament song. 
the problem with younger like what is it younger something hipper younger hipper cooler I think. yeah younger hipper cooler the problem with that is that if you're a brand it is exceedingly hard to do that when you are going how do you do fellow kids i i will say it is not the worst brand song i've ever heard however there are some bad ones it is nevertheless very funny and reading the replies was also very funny <laughs> yeah um younger hipper cooler i think is a good thing to try and do um i appreciate the big 12 and brett yormark's commitment to it however sometimes it is kind of coming off like a person in their early 40s and what their idea of what the youngins enjoy um and i will say the idea isn't a bad one but the execution wasn't <laughs> pretty bad so you can't just like yeah and i get that you're you're really limited lyrically when your subject matter is the the big 12 conference basketball tournament (laughs) and it has to be entirely focused on that um regardless maybe that is a signal to not do that big 12 no not so (laughs) the message isn't wrong there are no nights off Maybe we didn't need to make a rap about it. Like, I, all I will say is that I appreciate the Big 12 for trying, but this was not it. Let's move on. Yeah. Uh, the next wacky segment of the week is K State Twitter obsessing over Will Howard's legs. I, I, yeah, that was a weird timeline to be in. But I, I, I think it all started when people were obsessing over the fact that he squatted like 405. Yeah. Which, like, yeah, I mean, that that is pretty impressive. I, But I, I do think that the people just constantly, like, in that picture with Skyler, it's all of the quarterbacks lined up. Skyler's the only one in, like, normal pants. Like, all the other guys look like, you know, they all look like Division One athletes. And then I don't even know who started it. They're all just like, yo, bro, look at Will Howard's legs. And, like, then you look at it, and then you can't not see it. <laughs> you are forced to be cognizant of Will Howard's legs. You know, I'd rather just not. I'd rather not have to think about that. No offense to Will. I just don't want to think about that. Yeah, I, that's the that's the second wacky segment. And then third and finally is the Wabash Cannon Dog, which I think we ended up talking about last week. It was either on the show or after the show that we ended up talking about the Wabash Cannon Dog. And you and I came to the conclusion that at least it had something to do with our school. And then we saw the picture of it and you and I collectively decided, oh, dear God, we would rather be Baylor because at least theirs looks appetizing. <laughs> yeah, they they got a very basic um, Dr. Pepper float. It's just Dr. Pepper and like a scoop of ice cream and that's it. But at least it's like tasty, like... K-State just doesn't even look appetizing. The only good thing about it is that the name is like actually super clever. Mm-hmm. Like Wabash Cannon Dog is like, that's pretty good. Um, but that's where the good things end. And not only does it already not seem appetizing with like purple relish, it's like a bacon wrapped hot dog. So that bacon's not going to be crispy. Mm-hmm. And it 
it just doesn't already sound good. Um, the marketing photo for it, it was horrible. Yeah, like, like, like they literally every other like bit of food there looked normal. Like they look like normal food marketing food, you know, where they actually have like the food makeup artists. Yes, that's a real thing, a real job that people have. Um, but then it just looks like they legitimately just grabbed one of the wild ash cannon dogs from the concession stand. Like, here, shut up, take it, take the photo. <laughs> yeah, it it didn't. It looked the opposite of appetizing. Um, there were some interesting options available though for Big Twelve uh, concession fare. Um, I. I, I'm somewhat interested in the uh, West Virginia like pepperoni roll thing that they have. Um, Unfortunately, I think, I think the KU mac KU's and cheese is the best. Be the best. I am super interested in the Jayhawk mac and cheese. Um, it does annoy me a bit that it actually just doesn't have any sort of connection at all to KU, with the exception of it saying Jayhawk in front of it. At least ours has like a, a school the thing incorporated relish. into the name yeah, and the purple relish. But the Jayhawk mac and cheese just seems super appetizing. It, it's mac and cheese pulled pork and then uh i think uh, onion straws i think like fried onion straws like that just sounds really really good like i i would eat that any day of the week and i'm very very disappointed that k-state didn't get that um everything else looked at least like all right i i I think that the um the cannon dog is actually the only thing that i would not eat that was on the uh the list um I'm skeptical of the, I think it's the TCU nachos with like purple sour cream. Yeah. Um, Cause I already don't like sour cream really. Uh, and making it purple does not make me want to eat it more. Yeah. So, I don't want to eat grimaces boogers. Thank you. Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> I, I, I do. Uh, this was a much better marketing outing for the big 12, the uh, concession fair. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, th- I think like all the school themed stuff, I think is a much more successful attempt at marketing from the Big Twelve. Um, but regardless, the Wabash Cannon Dog is a bad miss, <laughs> and I will not be touching that if I do end up at the Big Twelve tournament. But we'll see. Yeah. You have any final thoughts? Um, I wish the Cannon Dog didn't exist. I agree. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to contact or follow the show, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Aggieville A Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C and Cats. If you want to email us, we're Aggieville Alley Cats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ASC Edwards00. I am at Connor Bounces or capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as the staff-approved Doomtang Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.